0: When God appeared to Moses, he said, I will myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. When it actually happened, that was a that was a A um, explanation of what he was going to do, and then when he did it, then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Psalm 86 says, but you, O Lord, are merciful, you are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Psalm one hundred three says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Psalm one hundred sixteen five says Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. Psalm one nineteen one fifty six says, Great are your mercies, O Lord, revive me according to your ordinances. Joel encourages us encourages us in Joel two thirteen, Rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. I could do this for a long time this morning. There are over 50 verses that illustrate this point. Jonah didn't go to Nineveh. The reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh? Because he said, I know who you are. I know you. You're gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger. And you relent from sending calamities. I know who you are. And I know if I go over to Nineveh, they're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. And as far as we know, he left very—he left as a very angry prophet. I hope that didn't last throughout his life, but we're left with no, no clues but him being angry because he understood who God was. It's so important for us to understand who God is. And Romans is a book that provides a lot of information and insight onto who God is. But let me let me sneak and tell you. God is good. God is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He has loving kindness in every one, every part of his being. Let me pick up the context of Romans, where we we're at. I hope you've read this book. I hope you read it many times during the week and get it stuck in your mind so that you understand Paul's flow of thought. And you don't just get that. It's not like reading John. You can't just pick up on it just like that. Um, I have to diagram it to understand what he's saying half the time. And I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to to, to um, match his phrases and put them on equal footing so you can see them on a piece of paper because he does usually use pretty complex arguments. But just, just to um, tell you, God's righteous... Wrath is being revealed against he- from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness uh, by men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. You know, one of the things, one of the illustrations that I've used over the years, and, and, and probably some of you have seen me use it, the truth is like a balloon, a helium balloon. And it's actually kind of amusing to, to stand in front of a crowd and, and do this illustration. But I, did. I wasn't going to Kroger this morning. Um, but if you have a helium balloon, it will rise, right? It's full of helium. And it's kind of interesting if you can get the timing right, you can kind of block your face with it so that you can't really see. But you've got to push that helium balloon down. You have to suppress it to keep it from popping up. And that's what people do. That's what we do. Well, let's talk about those other people first. Because that's what he does. Talk about all those other people that are mean and wicked and nasty. And, and because they don't want to believe the truth, they get full of idol worship, immorality, and ultimately something that just goes against nature, the very nature of things. They get involved in homosexuality. It, I mean, it defies logic why you would want to do that, but it is, a, it is an evidence of continuing to suppress the truth. And that's something you've got to really advertise um, as normal to even come close to thinking that way. But in our country, we are doing a lot of advertising that that is normal and allowing ourselves to suppress the truth. And let me tell you, let me give you this... This list, you know, Jason was moving through this fast um, last time around, and I'm going to move through it fast too, but I just want us to stop and hear this. They refuse to acknowledge God as God and refuse to um, retain the knowledge of God, they They wanted to get rid of the knowledge of God. They didn't want to hold on to it. So, uh, what they did were two things. They didn't want to hold on to the knowledge of God, and neither were they thankful. They refused to acknowledge God as God. They refused to do what the Ninevites did. They refused to be thankful to God, and they refused to hold on to that knowledge of God. They wanted to let it go. They wanted to get rid of it. They wanted to take down the Ten Commandments. Sound familiar? This is a battle that's going on throughout history and will go on throughout history. There will always be Antichrist and Christ. There will always be the truth because God preserves Himself a remnant. And God used prophets to confront nations. God is going to use prophets this time to confront nations and to make them think. Now, what he said often in prophecy was even with his own country, he said, I'm going to send you to these people. They're not going to listen to you. I'm going to make your face hard. I'm going to make you hard so that you can tell the truth. But don't think that what you're going to do is going to make any difference. But it brings glory to me because I put the truth out there. And I am the truth. So, so that's happened throughout history. It will continue to happen. It will be. It will reach climax points in history. People will be killed. People. People. Bad things will happen because of the truth. Maybe we recover and repent, and it's good for a while. But then you forget the knowledge of God. You can't find the book of the law. Nobody valued it enough to keep it. And then Josiah finds it and cries, and 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 sets the nation back on a good path. But then, it swings back the other way. But the issues, what are the issues according to Paul? It's not being thankful and not retaining the knowledge of God. Teach your children the knowledge of God. Teenager, if you're struggling with this stuff doesn't make any sense. There's this contradiction or that contradiction. Be careful. I mean, I want you to question, yes, but be willing to listen to the truth. Because when you suppress that truth, when you push that truth down, you can't see the truth. And you become blinded by your by the by the wickedness and by the lack of truth, the lack of health, the lack of of honesty and you'll believe just about anything and you'll follow just about anyone to get some sensation I and mean, you may cut yourself just to get a sensation just to feel something i mean it, it gets it gets bad it gets weird really quick when we refuse to follow the truth when we refuse to keep the truth in front of us. All kinds of things bad happen. And so since they didn't do that, God gave them up for dishonorable passions. He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Now listen to this description. I want you just to to just notice this description of, of, of people who suppress the truth they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. So they're filled. Then he says they are full. So they're filling themselves up with unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. And they are full of envy, murder, strife, Deceit. Maliciousness. Then what are they? They are gossips. Haters of God. Insolent. Haughty. Boastful. Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Foolish. Faithless. Heartless. Ruthless when you fail to maintain the knowledge of God, when you refuse to be thankful to God, when you suppress the truth, this is what you become. And if you can be honest with yourself, you can see that. The farther away we get from the truth, the more wickedness seeps into our soul, into our being who we are. And yes, disobedient to parents is in that nasty list. It's a bad thing. Although they know right, God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things, listen to these words because it's going to be important for today, deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who are practicing them. They not only do them, they say, Good job, way to go. We celebrate you for your wickedness. We celebrate you. We, celebrate, we approve you. We are tolerant of you. We approve that. So not only do they do these things, they approve those who practice them. So I like the way I've been talking about that. I like the way I've been talking about that was them. Okay? I mean, that's, that's those people. I don't know exactly who those people are, but you know we tend to read this passage and say, that's those people. <clears throat> Jason did a very good job of saving us from that lie. Because we come to chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, old man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very things. I want to talk about that. You know, I, want us to, I want us to be clear on things. When you, when you judge somebody else, when you say, like I've just done, that these things are wrong because there's ultimate truth out there. There is truth. It's not just whatever you think, whatever I think. There is ultimate truth out there. So the problem with that, when I say this is wrong, 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 the problem is I do some of that stuff too. I've lied. I've had a greedy attitude. I've had lustful thoughts. So when I stand up in front of you and say this stuff is wrong, I'm referring to the body of truth. I'm referring to God Himself who is compassionate and filled with loving kindness and slow to anger. But when I say, it's wrong to get angry! I'm angry. Did anybody else raise their voice with their children this morning? Yeah. Not this morning. <laughs> well, then you're good. Now, wait a minute. Let's, let's talk about what is good. I mean, this is important to this subject, right? What is good? Good is the absence of evil. So that's why when you judge somebody, it's the old adage that you got three fingers pointing back at you. When we rightfully speak out against maliciousness about gossip, about disobedience to parents, about homosexuality, when we righteously speak out about those things, we're saying there's a truth out there. But the problem is, we don't follow the truth either completely. In fact, Romans is going to tell us as as Paul winds this argument up, he's going to say, There is none righteous, not even one. That's the problem we're faced with. It's not those guys and us, it's us, it's the human race. Think about this with me for a minute. Those of you who have heard me speak have heard me say this before, but everything that makes you you and me me, at least on a genetic or a DNA level, was present in the Garden of Eden. There's not different races. I don't know if anybody's told you that or not, but that's not true. There's no races. There's not different races. There is one race your hair's a little darker, or you're a little lighter, you got more melanin, you got less melanin. You're all from the same race. It's the human race. And every piece of who you are and who I am was present in the fall. And so, when through one man's disobedience, it brought death to all of us. So. Romans also says that the wages of sin is the wages of sin is death. And so we don't believe that. We just don't believe that. We don't, we, we, we don't understand that everything, that when we sin, the wages we get from that, what's fair, what's at market value, is if you sin one time, one attitude, one lustful thought one gossip, one maliciousness, one disobedient to parent just one, you deserve death. And through one man's sin, death passed to all men. That's really important as we examine his argument that you understand that up front because the wages of sin is death. So... That's what we have. I mean, that's, that's all we have is we deserve death. So, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very things. We know And I guess he may be thinking of his Jewish heritage because he's educated in the law and he knows the Torah. He understands the prophets. And so when he says, we know, that's what he's, I think that's what's in view here. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So any of the things from that list, any of the things from the Ten Commandments, and just to be clear about the Ten Commandments, they are, the, you know, I, I, that's one of the questions I ask, It's one of the employment questions I've asked in the past, just, you know, what, what do you think about the Ten Commandments? And, and what a lot of people say is they're good rules to live by. That's, nothing could be further from the truth. Well, I guess they are good rules to live by, if you could the point of the Ten Commandments is to say that everybody messes up. Because there's not one person... you know. Has anybody in this room... Let me just ask you this question. And I'm going to call you a liar if you raise your hands, by the way. Who in this room has never lied? I'm not raising my hand, sorry. That was the illustration. (laughs) So, the Ten Commandments says, don't lie. And don't, do not bear false testimony. Do not, do not we're, we're just that one. We're not even talking about some of the other more serious, or I don't know if any of them are any more serious than others. But we're not talking about the bigger ones that we think of as bigger ones. If you've lied, you've broken the Ten Commandments. So the point of the Ten Commandments is to show you that you're not righteous. So why do you think people would want to take down monuments of the Ten Commandments? Yeah, they're pushing that truth down. Because they don't want somebody to tell them that they're not righteous. They don't want somebody to say, this is sin. But let me tell you something, you can push that helium balloon down for a while, but um, sooner or later, you're going to need to sleep. Sooner or later, you're going to die. And that balloon's going to pop right back up. Truth is going to pop right back up. Because it's the truth. So no matter how you approach it, God's the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. I just want to take you to another passage here real quickly that's just it has these same concepts in view. Go with me to Luke thirteen. Because this is a big question. I don't know how many of you guys had listened to John MacArthur answer Larry King's questions after 9/11, and then after that, quite became a quite frequent guest on his show. Really, in unimaginably clear ways, he was a prophet of these very things of of talking about the truth um, so clearly. There were some present at that time who told him, Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So, what happened, I guess, was Galileans, people from Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee, were down in Jerusalem offering their sacrifices. So they were, they were from Galilee offering their sacrifices. So they were worshipers. They were good people. And I think that was implied here that, that they're down there worshiping. And they tell Jesus about that situation, about they'd been cut up somehow while they're offering their sacrifices so that the their own blood from their death was mingled in with the sacrifice's blood. So this is a pretty horrific kind of thing, and people were really taken aback by that. It's kind of, you know, it's not quite the same magnitude as somebody running an airplane into one of your buildings, but I mean, it was the question, it was the question of the day: Why does this stuff happen? Why? And he answered: Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners? than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way. So he challenged, their, he challenged their modern thinking. It was modern back then. Of course, you know what? We have the same issues. just keeps repeating. He's challenging their thinking because we even see it as far back as in the book of Job how the counselors said, well, something's got to be wrong with your life here, man. You've got to done something wrong because only bad things happen to bad people. Jesus said, do you think these Galileans were worse than these Galileans? Do you think they were the worst and they got their punishment? He says, no. That's not the issue. There's a bigger, more spacious, more broad issue that goes through the very fabric of our society and goes through the fabric of the Bible. That's the issue. And here it is. He very succinctly answers this question. He says, no. I tell you. No, that's not not it. That's not the truth. But, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, at first, that might seem like he's being a bit abrupt, and I think he was being a little succinct, for sure. But he cut to the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is you have sinned, and you've got to deal with that issue in front of God by believing in His sacrifice. Or, unless you repent, same thing's going to happen to you. Because listen, the wages of sin is death. When, when even Adam chose to eat that fruit, the Bible says they died. Now, it was kind of a dead man walking situation. They didn't immediately fall over dead but they died, and so they were as good as dead. The penalty for their sin is death. So what you deserve, if you've committed any sin whatsoever, Paul is clear on this. Ask me a question later if, if you can't get grasp this, because this is ultimate truth. You deserve death. That's what's fair. That's the prevailing wage. When you sin, you get Death. And the fact that you die now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now, doesn't much matter. You're doing the same thing. You're going to die. That's your penalty. And the only way to escape that is by expressing faith in Christ. That's the only way. Is to trust His sacrifice, not your own works. Because you come up short. And you may do 99% good. I doubt any of us are that good but you may do 99% good and have 1% bad. You're out. You're done. Because the wages of sin is death. So the question what happens at 9-11, the question of what happens in Indonesia, the question of what happens in the Sudan, the question of what happens in Syria, is not why does god let these things happen that's not the question i mean that's our emotional question when we have something bad that comes into our lives and it's really hard to take we ask ourselves why did god let me why did god why did god let this happen to me what was i doing wrong that made that this happen to me and, and maybe that's true. Maybe there was something that you did wrong, and maybe that is why God allowed. But the ultimate question is not, "Why did something bad happen to me?" The ultimate question is, "Why doesn't something bad happen to you all the time? Why don't you die because of your sin?" See, we don't we don't grasp how terrible sin is. We don't grasp how holy and good and righteous God is. God is completely sinless. He is nothing but the embodiment of truth. So just one small fraction of sin separates us from God. And we don't understand that. Because you know what we think? Let me just tell you what we think. We get used to God's mercy. I don't know, have you ever had a, a job that really paid very well? You know, you remember? <laughs> Sammy's like, No. <laughs> But I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I can, I can remember having a job when I was 12 at a restaurant, went for an hour and a half or so after school. Don't tell anybody that. Child labor laws and all. But, um, you know, I'd go and I thought, I mean, that's the sweetest deal in the world. They paid me five bucks for two hours worth of work. I sat down during that time and made myself whatever I wanted to eat. Can you imagine being 12 years old? I fried a hamburger. It was a greasy spoon. I mean, it's you know, it's like eating at the omelet shop. You really don't want to eat that food, but where um, a football field or something. But I loved it. <laughs> of course, I'm a West Virginian. I like poor people food. But um, it it you know, I'd fry up a hamburger, put some pickles on it, mustard. I'd get onion rings. I love onion rings. And I'd just slather, catch up on them, and sit and eat that. And I'm thinking, I'm getting paid for this. I'm eating, and I'm getting paid. This is awesome. You know what could be better for a 12 year old kid than eating, but being paid to eat? Of course, I didn't really understand the way the world works. I was cleaning out the grease trap, I was washing the dishes, I was scrubbing the bathroom—the stuff that nobody else would want to do—but I did. I was just happy as a hog in slop. I mean, it was just, it was great. And I probably was a hog and slop, but anyway, grease all over the place. Anyway, ham, you know, all, it'll, it'll take a while. Some of my jokes progressive. progressive. Um, but, you know, I'm thinking, this life is beautiful. And then you start thinking, you know, I got this job because I'm a hard worker. You know, I basically deserve this job and I basically you know I should be I should be eating while I'm working I'm telling a story now leave me alone y'all talk to you in a minute um but you know I got used to it and that's what we do we get used to that high-paying job and we think yeah that's right I, I earned this I'm good at this. People pay me money for my services. And we get proud and we get arrogant and we think that we deserve stuff. That was the thing that God told the Israelites when they went into the land. He said, listen, when you get into the land, we kill the Canaanites, you guys get in there, take over their houses, take over their property, and um, you build your paneled houses, I mean paneling, that must have been the thing, it's kind of a 70's thing again, did a lot of wood paneling back in the 70's, a lot of other things we did back in the 70's too, but um, you know, you get in those wood paneled houses and you say to yourself with my own hands, I've accomplished this, my own might, we took over this place, we're back, and then he says, this is what's going to happen when you do that. You'll forget God, and that's what happens over and over again in our lives. When we get a little bit of security, when we whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's rearing children, whatever the situation is, we say, "You oh, know, we're kind of good at this. I got this." And then, what happens when you um, have arrogance and pride comes before? Yeah. comes before destruction. Arrogance comes before a fall because that's the way the world works. When you start thinking, I got this, you don't got it anymore. And it's going to be obvious not just to you, but to everybody else that you don't got it. That's what has to happen when you get arrogant. And you start, you start getting entitled. So, so you start to think of people in terms of that's them, those are the bad guys, we're the good guys, those are the people that the consequences come to. I don't get consequences. And people say, you know what? I decided a long time ago that I was rejecting the Bible. Because, you know, the Bible is probably a bunch of myths that, that people made up. And there's good stuff in them. But it's mostly just kind of stories to make you a better person. So I'm just going to reject that. And I'm going to start following mm, myself. And I'm going to make myself happy. There's a new idea. Um, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And my religion is I'm going to worship the God of the earth. The earth, yes, the God of the earth. The goddess, maybe, even of the earth. I like goddesses better than gods. Um, And you start making this stuff up. And listen, your pay increases. You get good relationships with people. You find a lot of other people that want to do the same kind of stuff that you want to do. And you start saying, I got this. I don't need God. I got this. Be careful. Be careful. Goes up, must come down. You can't, it's God's grace that allows us to live another second. And we got to remember that. Because even if you do progress in your wickedness, and progress in your wealth, and progress in becoming a president of a country. It's the old Johnny Cash song that says, sooner or later, God will cut you down. I mean, you have to come to grips with ultimate truth. And the wages of sin is death. So whether that happens immediately when you sin, which sometimes for some people it does. Some people, you know, set out and make one mistake and their life is taken from them. And whether that goes immediately or whether you last for 60 years or 70 years, or even a hundred, probably not going to make it much past that. The wages of sin is death, so the wages will be paid, and you've got to realize that. I don't want to pay those wages. I'm glad that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm sorry. Let's get back to this passage. Jesus said he brought something into it. He said, "Remember when that tower fell over at Salome, and, and some of the, some of the." Uh, history books tell us that they were building a large aqueduct um, the Romans were trying to get water because they did awesome aqueducts everywhere they had water moving everywhere um, running water who knew that was awesome move it to, to, to different towns so they were building this big aqueduct in Salome and it fell apart and actually got people that are just going to going to the, the store and going to school and it got a lot of innocent bystanders, just people that were just going about their business that happened to be too close to the aqueduct when it fell. So he said, were those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? Don't try to figure out if somebody died because they were worse or better. The point is, you're going to die. And I say that to you. And I say that to you kindly, with kindness in my voice. You, I promise you, I promise you, you are going to die. I promise you. It might be 15 minutes from now. You might never leave this room. Or it might be 70 years from now. But you will die. And the ultimate question is, who do you have your faith in? Do you have your faith in yourself? It's not going to be good. I encourage you, I implore you to listen to the God of the Bible in these next few verses. Do you, O man, who judge those who practice such things and yet do them to yourself, do you think that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Do you suppose, O man, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Do you really think you know, a lot of people have this idea that, you know, it's gonna it's gonna work out. I've just got to have faith, because it's gonna it's, stuff's going No, it's not gonna work out. It is not. I'm see me as a prophet saying to you, it does not work out. If you try to face this on your own, it will not work out. Because that is presumption of the highest order. Because he says here in the next part, um, further, furthering his argument, he says, or, um, so there's a, there's a conjunction that's tying these two thoughts together. So do you suppose that you're going to escape the judgment of God? You who judge people, but you got three coming back at you, you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness? And forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. There's something that's true about God is He He has it's a very similar description to the verses that I've that I read to you earlier. He says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness? Sorry, I've got to get this bigger. And forbearance, and patience. That first word, kindness, is also used, uh, it's also translated in some translations as goodness. So do you presume on the goodness of God, on His kindness, the fact that He is going to treat you good, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The psalmist said in, in Psalm 23, Good is the Lord in Psalm 25. Great is Your goodness in Psalm 31. Psalm 52 says Your goodness. The goodness of the Lord is continual. Psalm thirty three five says the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. It's all over the Old Testament. God is good. He's good. That's why He hasn't paid you your wages. But He's saying, I'm going to pay you your wages. And unless you repent, you're going to die. The next word is goodness, kindness. God is good. Do you presume on His forbearance? And forbear, when you forbear, you're tolerant. It's, it's, it's um, not giving you what you deserve. It's, it's mercy. Because what you deserve, the wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. But His forbearance and patience, He's slow to anger. He's slow in carrying out His righteous. Sentence. He's slow. Are you going to presume on that? That's pretty presumptuous, because you're not realizing, according to Paul here, that this kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. You're supposed to look at that kindness and say, "Oh my word, I, I'm surprised that I didn't. I, I'm not dead yet. I'm surprised that I'm not eternally separated from God. I want to repent." Which is what I hope, if you haven't repented, I hope you are gripped by these words. Not mine. Mine are clumsy. Mine are are, are halting. I lose my place. But God doesn't. Paul doesn't. He says that you're abusing God. You're abusing His kindness, His forbearance, His patience. If you look on it with disdain if you don't pay attention to it. Because God's kindness is meant. He's given you this grace. He's given you this job. He's given you this relationship as a general means of grace. He gives the world the sun. You know, the sun comes up every day, not because people are good or bad, but because God's given forbearance. He's He's. He's loving us generally. But that sun coming up needs to lead you to understand, I need to find out more about this God. It's meant to lead you to repentance. And repentance, metanoia, change of mind. It's I was thinking that I was going to follow the goddess. I was thinking I was going to make my own religion. But I'm repenting from that and trying to follow the truth. I'm going to find out who God is. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read the claims of Christ. I want to to tell myself the truth. That's a repentance. Because, listen, he goes on to say, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're not apologizing. You've got a hard heart and you're not apologizing. You are storing up for yourselves wrath. You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. There's coming a day, and I know you're going to hear some crackpot say that uh, the meteor is going to travel between the earth and they're going to have a tsunami all the way up to um, Utah and earthquakes and the world's going to end and, and we're all going to laugh when the day passes that he said that that was going to happen. You know, you got those guys. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't do... The, not only the poor you'll always have with you, but the idiots you'll always have with you. But I want stay up here with complete confidence and complete certainty that the end of the world is coming. And there will be earthquakes. And there will be meteors. And there will be fire. And there will be famine. And, and it's coming. I, I tell you that confidently. I don't know when. I don't know when the stock market's going to crash, but it will crash. I promise you. It's been this way from the beginning. And it may not be the end when it crashes. It may, we, we may get a chance to repent and live in some peace and safety for 500 years. Or we may not, but it's coming. Antichrists are in the world. And the Antichrist will come to ultimately finish this earth up. And that's when God's wrath will pour out on the earth. A little bit of wrath here or there, a little bit of punishment here or there, but the ultimate day of wrath is still coming. It's in the future. And what happens on that day? He will render to each according to His works. To those who by patient and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. If you repent and say, God, You are the truth, Christ. I trust You. Your Son's sacrifice for My life. You will get God's righteousness. You will get eternal life. And, 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 and don't believe me because I'm saying it. Search these Scriptures. It's true. I mean, anybody can have an angel appear to them and, and um, write down a bunch of stuff on golden scrolls <coughs> and create a religion where people are good and maybe they don't drink coffee or something like that. But um, this is the truth. Those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory honor, and immortality. He will give them eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. It's as simple as that. Same thing will happen to you, Tower of Siloam victims. That happened to the Tower of Siloam victims. We will all die. And He ends this up by saying, there will be tribulation, and this is what I've been saying. There, there will be tribulation. There will be Antichrist. There will be bad things, and then there'll ultimately be the Great Tribulation. But there'll be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, and also the Greek. Paul's already, Paul's already veering off to go after the the Israelites because they think they've got it, you know. We have Abraham as our father is what they're gonna say. He's already he's already got him in his sights, and that's where he's headed to go after not just the irreligious, but the religious too. For the Jew first and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first and also the Greek. Now he's not real explicit. With the details about the gospel right now, he's throwing a throwing a um, he's throwing uh, some words at it like um, glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Of course, we know that nobody does good on their own; that you have to get Christ's righteousness, and he develops that very thoroughly as this book goes on. This is not just this section is not the only thing that we have about this issue, because I'd be scratching my head about this language if he doesn't develop it more. But he does. He develops it in chapter 3 and chapter 4 and throughout the rest of this book. So what do we take away from this? Let me try to wind down here. What, do we ta- what are our takeaways? Two things that I really want you to get. God is good. You are not If you place faith in Christ, then it is credited to you as righteousness. So, here's the big big one. It's crazy, but true. You, after expressing faith in Christ, are righteous. And Paul says later in another book, he says, death... Where's your sting? Grave. Where's your victory? Because by placing faith in Christ, yes, you're still going to die. This human body is going to die. I'm not, there's, no, there's no spaceship that's flying by. If you put on the purple Santa shoes, you're not going to get there. They're not going to pick you up. There's nothing like that going on. You're going to die. But you can die with Christ and accepting His sacrifice. And then, what's the big deal about death? Jesus says, don't be afraid of the person that can only kill your body. Be afraid of the person that can put body and soul into hell. That's the one you need to be afraid of. God is good. You are not. If you place faith in Christ, you are good. Don't presume on God's kindness. Don't disdain what God's worked so hard to accomplish for you. Accept His Son. Accept His sacrifice. And you'll be good. You'll be good because He'll see you through Christ. Don't get arrogant. Don't say, with my own hands, I've accomplished all this. Say, by God's grace, I've got this. By God's grace, my children are healthy. By God's grace, something worse didn't happen to me because it's all gravy. The wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. It's not just the people that are pushing the envelope and trying to be as wicked as they possibly can be. It's not just those people. It's all of us. Because when we pass judgment on them, and we should, but we open ourselves up to being judged ourselves, which we need to be. It's good for us to be judged and found wanting. So then, you can place faith in Christ. So, God is. God is. You are. But if you place faith in Christ, you are. You're good. You're righteous. Crazy, but true. Thank You, Father, for Your Word. Thank You for all the ways You have made the Gospel so clear. You've used Scriptures. You've used prophets. You've used code books. You've used foreign powers to all play out the scenario in history that you want to see. And it's kindness, it's forbearance, it's tolerance, it's mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over justice. You're good, God. Thank You for making a way for us to be good. Amen. Thank you, guys. Stay and eat with us. Feel free to stay and eat with us. We'll make some preparations and roll out the tables.